Testing, testing. Good morning, how's everyone doing? Doing good? Um, I was reading my Bible today and this like verse came into my head. Um, it says, rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Yes. Um, I feel like that's a really important verse because it shows that no matter what season of life we're in, we should always look to the Father and give thanks to Him for the things that He's given us. There's always something that could be worse or something that could change, but we need to put our focus and put our attention on God, and that's where we get our joy from. It's not from our circumstances. It's from who He is and who we are through Him. So right now, I just pray that all of you would just receive that and that they would just be filled with the joy of the Lord and that they wouldn't they wouldn't look around and see all the bad things in the world but that they would look up and that they would see you and they they would see all the good things that you have for them and that they'd be able to see the good in the world and that that's where they would draw their joy from. God and you always. Amen. You are faithful. You are faithful, God, always. Yes. Amen. Thank you, Lord. Love you, Jesus. sacrifice of praise this morning. Amen? You guys ready to bring the sacrifice of praise this morning? The word says that it's the fruit of our lips, and that is the fruit of our lips is giving thanks.
a call that's coming, a call that's coming to the people of God. Today, he doesn't want you to be silent. He wants you to praise him unabandonedly. David danced before the Lord. He danced with all his might because he was in the presence of the Lord. God says, I will hear you. I will answer you if you just put your inhibitions aside and you will reach out to the Lord your God and say, He alone is God. He alone is God. He alone is God.
sorry, I hit that popping. Um, and just in the middle of how she's singing and she's leading, she begins to, you know, shout and scream and do the happy dance. I don't know if you guys have ever been to a traditional black Baptist church, but there's like this little shouting dance thing that they get and they're hopping around. We're just going crazy. It's worship. It's all an expression of worship. And then it brought back to mind, <clears throat> I have a dog. I just moved. We're trying to get adjusted with everything. And my vet suggested one thing to keep him from marking, which is called a dog diaper or a, mel- a belly band is what she called it. And it fits across his middle so that when he gets the urge to do something he's not supposed to, it stops him. Well, when I first put it on him last night, he was very uncomfortable with it. He was looking at me and he was biting it and trying to get it off and freaking out. Like, what is this? What is this? He didn't like it. It was very uncomfortable. But after about five, ten minutes, he started walking in that thing like, okay, I own this. This is mine. This is the way it's supposed to be. I trust those that put this on me. They know what they're doing. Even though I don't like it, it's not what I'm used to. I'm cool with it. And he's just strutting around the house like he just owns the joint now. And it's one of those things that God is pulling us out of our comfort zone in worship. I know for Carol, doing that happy dance, shouting and jumping up and down and going, is probably not the most comfortable expression of worship for her. But God can move her out of that. Just like for some of you, dancing and lifting your hands or singing or, or moving around and moving in the spirit is not comfortable. But that's okay. It may be uncomfortable for five minutes. It may be uncomfortable for a few minutes. It may be uncomfortable for a week. But once you allow yourself to trust that God knows what he's doing when he moves you out in that expression of worship, once you trust that he knows what his plan is as you're moving into this, what's uncomfortable begins to be comfortable and you begin to move and walk in more freedom. Without that belly band, my dog is constrained to his crate so he doesn't do what he's not supposed to do in the house. But with that belly band for five minutes of discomfort, he now has freedom over the house again. So what will five minutes of discomfort in the way that you worship cost you in the long run? Will it cost you being constrained to a crate, to being boxed into, this is the way it's always been done, this is the way I've got to do it, hallelujah, thank you, Jesus. Or will it be, Father God, thank you. I will worship you, Lord. I will trust you for five minutes of discomfort. If it means me jumping and shouting, I will jump and shout. I'm pretty sure when David, when that Ark of the Covenant was coming through, and David was like, okay, there it is, there it is, there it is. I'm pretty sure he wasn't thinking, oh gosh, this is, I'm going to look like a fool. Everybody, I'm the king. I can't look like this. I can't be moving around like this. He became so enamored of the presence of God as it was coming through that he danced his clothes off. He didn't care how he looked. I'm sure it wasn't comfortable. I'm sure in the back of his mind, he was going, oh, I look like an idiot. I look like an idiot. But what did it cost him with the presence of God? What did God's, what, what did bringing God's kingdom, God's presence into his kingdom do for his kingdom? What did it do for his life personally? What blessings were poured upon his life for that five minutes of wild, unashamed, unabashed worships before the presence of God? What did he, what, what did, what blessings did he get? What did it get?
every time you grab someone and, and actually behold them and you transfer love, you're not only loving them, you're loving yourself. You're getting to know yourself better the more you get to know others around you because we're all connected, amen? is shining. I have a little add-on to Cherie's word. Um, we were worshiping um, this morning when just talking to people and saying good morning and um, someone was telling me, you know, this was their being here this morning. It was hard, you know, it was early for them. They're tired and this was their sacrifice. But the way they said it, there was such joy in their heart. You know, it was a sacrifice, but there was such joy and I, I think of that part in the Old Testament, you know, and I think it's Isaiah where the Lord is talking about how he doesn't want your sacrifice of goats and pit, you know, when they had to sacrifice at the temple and he didn't want that. He wanted your heart. And it wasn't that he didn't want you to bring him a sacrifice is that he wanted the sacrifice from your heart, not just what are you supposed to do day in, day out? You know, what do you always do? What have you always done? But that you would just be one with him and you would just hear his heart and that would be your, your sacrifice. Ask him that, and he'll, he'll tell you what it is he has for you and wants you to do, right? All right. Our ushers are ready, and you guys are settled. So we just, yes, we thank you for our sacrifice and our finances, right? Sometimes, sometimes we just, we need God in our finances, right? Yes. Thank you, Father. Always. We always need you in our finances. I just thank you for what you're doing in this house, around the world. I just thank you that you are in control. And we, this morning we just surrender to you and we just pray um, favor and blessing over each and everyone who is here this morning and giving and just sacrificing. I just thank you for that word and for everything you're doing this morning. We just give you all the honor and glory. Amen. It is also, um, go ahead. It is also missions um, Sunday and you guys have a thing in your bulletin about what's going on this summer. Um, we've got two different groups going to Cambodia two different teams, um, the Gregos and the iCult, both headed that way. And you have a major opportunity to um, partner with them. Maybe you can't physically go around the world, but you can help provide some Bibles. They're going to be um, going out into rural vi- villages. You know, we are just, we're, my husband and I were talking the other day, like, we got a Bible in every room in how many versions? How many of you have more than one Bible in your house? Come on now, right? Okay, there are people in the world who do not own a Bible, and Yes, with, with the digital age, it's getting easier, but there are still people out in the middle of nowhere who don't have a Bible. And, I mean, that's one of the easiest ways to talk to God, right? So you have a major opportunity to partner with them. $10, you can um, just get that in the box, or they're going to come back and do the, uh, the missions offering, and you can just mark in your memo, you know, Bibles for, for Cambodia or Cambodia, or if you want that specifically to go to one of the teams, you can write their name. You can just make that happen however you need to happen. So... They're going to be coming around again for that. And then I'm going to let you guys know what's going on. You can read your bulletin, but just want to highlight this Wednesday night is barbecue at Pastor Ray and Carol's house. 
So um, see your details for that. This summer we're doing some different things. It's not every week we're here. Um, And then this Saturday there is no men's breakfast, but the women's group is meeting at 9 a.m. Is that right? 9 a.m. So, all right, you guys see your bulletin for other stuff. We've got Vacation Bible School coming up. If you're interested in helping with that, you... 8 a.m. Saturday. I'm sorry. 8 a.m. 8 a.m. Saturday. I thought you were saying 8 a.m. VBS. No. 8 a.m. Saturday morning, ladies. Okay. If you want to help with Vacation Bible School, you see John or Kathy Stanson, and they will set you up with something to do. It's going to be a good time for our kids. All right. Kids can be dismissed to their classes at this time. Thank you. Amen. Yay, I'm on. You guys hear me? Awesome. Okay. Man, I just really, uh, during worship, it was a really good, sweet time. I hope you guys enjoyed the presence of God this morning. Amen. We, uh, my dad wanted me to uh, fill you guys in. We had, um, uh, we had a, not us, but in one of the houses behind us, there was a gas leak. Uh, this morning, and so we we had our friendly neighborhood firemen coming in and checking. They just out of stuff they came in and checked. So it wasn't anything with the church, there, but there was a gas leak out, and so they wanted to come and check. That's what that was. So, but I believe the Holy Spirit is up to them, uh, up to uh, to reaching them. So let's just put our hands towards our our service firemen over there. They they're coming from that station. Father, we just thank you for our the servants. Of this area, God, we thank you for them who are uh, blessing us, Lord. They serve this area. They protect people. They bring hope, Lord. They bring peace. And we just bless them this morning, Lord, as they walk through these doors. Lord, we already know that your angels are with them, but we just thank you for the presence of peace over them, over their families. We know they sacrifice so much and they give so much. And so, God, we just bless them and we thank you for the opportunity for them to don our doors, Lord, and just... Lord, experience, Lord, maybe even a new dimension of the presence of God this morning. Amen? Amen. How many of you guys know that encounter is, is huge in God's kingdom? As a matter of fact, the kingdom is an ongoing encounter with God. Amen? Amen. Never stops. Well, today I wanted to give a, I wanted to give a charge or a, a just kind of a blessing to our graduates this morning. So if you... If you uh, have graduated or someone in your immediate family has graduated, can you stand to your feet? If you're a parent of a graduate or a graduate yourself, yes, all right, if you're a graduate or a parent of a graduate, because how many of you guys know, like, like your parents, you know, your parents almost did probably just as much work as you did, if not more, and so... Uh, there's a graduation for both. Amen? How many of you guys have had kids that graduated, and once they graduated, like there's an element of, oh my goodness, but then there's the level of, oh my goodness, you know? It's, it's, it's dimensional. 
Oh, God, help us. I'm pretty excited. I, I think when, when they reach that point, it's like you, you start to see what the possibilities of what God's going to do. And your level, a, a parent's level of trust increases more with the Lord for their kid because, you know, that's just how it goes. Amen? Do you guys have parent, empty nesters in here? Anyone? You have, you have kids that have left? All right. Amen? That's good. Well, I wanted to talk to them about, uh, and everyone in here, just about discipleship this morning. Because you guys went through kind of a 12-year discipleship course, pretty much. That's what you did. You, you went somewhere, you were put in places, you were placed under people, and you were, in some cases, inspired, and in other cases, forced to be submitted to another person's doctrine, or we can call it curriculum, <laughs> okay? And you went 12 years of going from teacher to teacher to teacher, unless you're homeschooled, you had the teacher the whole time. I had the home, you know what I mean? Um, but, and, then, and then on top of that, some, sometimes you jump from school to school to school and people travel. But you guys know that that is a level of discipleship that you were placed under, right? And we, how many of you guys have, uh, how many of you guys uh, have teachers in your life that made a big impact in your life? Actual, in the education system that you went through, there was somebody that was like, man, they really like, they said something or they did something. Maybe it was in a day, maybe it was in a, a, an entire semester or something that, that really kind of made a shift in you. Maybe not the entirety of you, but maybe like you were like, man, I'm, I really want to glean from something. Does anyone have one of those in your, in your life or were you really glean from someone, one of your teachers? Well, you know, you want to treasure those and you want to keep in contact with those people because it, it actually means a whole lot when they come back and they say, hey man, you really, you really brought me through that. I know as a, as a, a youth pastor um, in past years, that really meant a lot to me. And I still have a lot of relationships with guys and girls that, that graduated and left, uh, left and they've gone on to college or they've gone on to jobs and things like that or got married and they come back. And, and it's a different dimension of relationship, but in some ways... Even though they're not uh, like directly, you know, like kind of submitted under that leadership, in some ways it's even better, because there is this, you know, you you now get to go with them through a different dimension of life, and it's it's really an honor to be able to have that place in their life. Um, but today I wanted to talk to you guys about um, about discipleship. You know, through the twelve years, you experience different different levels of difficulty hopefully, going from grade to grade. That's going to happen in life, and that's going to happen in your walk with the Lord. Sometimes you won't only have different teachers, but I will say, even though you might have different teachers in your life, you do need to have parents in your spiritual life that never change. Right? How many of you have spiritual parents in your life? Can I see your hand? You have a mom and a dad spiritually. That relationship does not go away. No matter how far you move away in proximity, there's something in your heart, and even the Spirit cries out, as I said it, as you have one, there's, that's your dad, that's your mom, 
that is that is where your identity was birthed from right but just like spiritually you have that physically but also teachers there are many teachers that you're going to have through your walk but then there's only there's only one there's a set of parents that you have that god has really put he'll really pinpoint those relationships and they're very special relationships um but so you're going to experience different levels of difficulty in discipleship and the last thing is is you had to transition your ability to learn based on your teacher not every person that you come in contact with is going to teach the way that you learn you ever had a teacher who taught a certain way and you just weren't getting it like no i i understood everything no you ever had that you have You've had, that, you've had that one person where you just didn't click. And maybe it was with the personality thing, but maybe they just didn't teach in a way that you could understand. Right? You know what I'm talking You're like, oh, now I have these memories. You remember that person or maybe those mo- multiple teachers that maybe it was your parents. <laughs> I don't understand anything you're saying, but it sounds like I should listen to you. Okay, so you have these people that God places in your life. And you are not, I guarantee you, you're not always going to understand what they're saying or why they're saying it. But that's all the more reason why God put them in your life. It actually isn't so that you will understand them. It's so that you will grow. And there is a big difference. Sometimes you will hear stuff for the first time from people that God has put in your life. And it is, it is so confusing, it actually is offensive. Once you get past the offense, you're actually able to grow. Because growth is always on the other side of offense. And it's very dangerous when we uh, get into a place where we are seeking for the place of the most comfort in our life. That once we, once all the ducks are in a row... Guess what? what? Whenever the ducks all get in a row, then you know how much hell it is to kind of keep, try to keep the ducks in a row? It's, also, it's actually almost easier when you're in the process of getting them in a row than once you get them in the row, the stress it takes to keep them in a row. So enjoy the process. Amen? I, wanna, I want you guys to turn in your Bibles to 1 Samuel chapter 17. If you guys have the church app, um, I'm going to be reading out of um, I'm going to be reading out of the English Standard Version. So we're going to read First um, Samuel chapter 17. This is this is a um, this is a very very familiar passage with a lot of people and. And one of the, I have to admit, one of the reasons why I'm, I'm reading this and teaching on this, one is because we have just a ton of graduations uh, this last week, and there is this point of transition. But at the same time, my kids have been watching this super book, uh, David and Goliath, for like the last week, and they watch it every night before they go to bed. And, Judah, let's go to bed. And he goes, book, 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 which means we have to watch super book before I go to bed. And so he runs upstairs, jumps on the couch, and even learn how to turn on the dvd player which kind of freaks me out but that's my boy kim calls me um media man because i just do everything media and so he's media boy 
and I'm not even trying. See, I'm trying to not teach my kids certain things just so, just so I see how much of me in them they actually get without me trying. Does that make sense? Do you, ever, do you ever, you know, you have certain things in your kids that come out and you're like, where did they learn that? And your spouse is like, what are you, what are you saying? That, that, that's totally you. You ever had that happen to you? No. Um, well, that happens to us and, and Judah has this, Judah has these certain traits, and Reagan has these certain traits, and it's so, so much fun to see both of us come out and both of us. But I'm going to read this whole chapter so you guys get comfortable, okay? Well, we'll see how I do. It says, verse 1, this is the ESV version, David and God. Uh, now the Philistines gathered their armies for battle, and they were gathered at uh, Socha, which belongs to Judah, and encamped between Socha and Azekah in that place. And Saul and the men of Israel were gathered and encamped in the valley of Elah and drew up in line of, ba- uh, of battle against the Philistines. So here they are. They're getting ready. They're lined up. And the Philistines stood on the mountain on one side and Israel stood on the mountain the other, on the other side with the valley between them. And there came out from the camp of the Philistines a champion named Goliath of Gath. And then it talks a lot about him, but... We're not going to focus on Goliath right now. Listen to this. Verse 8. He stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel, Why have you come out to draw up for battle? Am I not a Philistine? Are you not servants of Saul? You guys know that there's this huge battle between the Philistines. Uh, This just was an ongoing thing between the two. Okay, Choose a man for yourself and let him come down to me. If he is able to fight with me and kill me then we will be your servants but if i prevail against him and kill him then you shall be our servants and serve us and the philistine said and the philistine said i defy the ranks of israel this day give me a man that we may fight together when saul and all israel heard these words of the philistine they were dismayed and greatly afraid okay now Where's David right now? He's at home. What is David doing at home? Tending sheep. Where's the bad news? It's on the battlefield. Where's David? Not on the battlefield. It's very important that we position ourselves to be in a constant mode to receive peace there are times when you god puts you in the storm but there are seasons where he doesn't call you to the storm and you're there out of what he wants to do in your life there are storms that we bring upon our upon ourselves. bill johnson put it this way he had a sermon on talking about uh the two storms and there was a storm that jesus went into with the disciples but then there was a storm that jonah went to outside of God's leading. So I want to charge you young people is make sure you are where you need to be when God tells you to be there. And don't be where he doesn't call you to be when he's not calling you there. Amen? Verse 12. Now David was the son of an Ephraim of Bethlehem in Judah named Jesse who had eight sons. In the days of Saul, the man was already old and advanced in years. The three oldest sons of Jesse had followed Saul to battle. 
And the names of his three sons who went to the battle were Eliab, the firstborn, and the next two, Abinadab, and the third, Shammah. David was the youngest. The three eldest followed Saul, but David went back and forth from Saul to feed his father's sheep at Bethlehem. For 40 days, the Philistine came forward and took his stand morning and evening. And Jesse said to David, his son, take for your brothers an ephah um, of parched grain, which is a, mat, it's a big sack. It's like 22 liters. And these 10 loaves and carry them quickly to the camp for, uh, to your brothers. And take these 10 cheeses to the commander of their thousand. See if your brothers are well and bring back some news from them. So David is on his journey. Go, go hang out with his brothers, see how things are doing. Amen? All right. Verse 19. Now Saul and they and all of the men of Israel were in the valley of Elah fighting the, uh, the Philistines. And David rose early in the morning and left the sheep with the keeper and took the provisions and went as Jesse had commanded him. And he came to the encampment as the host was going out to the battle line shouting the war cry. And Israel and the Philistine drew up for battle, army against army. And David left the things in charge of the keeper of the baggage and ran to the ranks and went and greeted his brothers. So David is making his way up. Now, this, keep in mind, this is, this is day 40. Day 40 of men coming out to the line of war. And they're discouraged because this guy keeps coming out and keeps threatening him. Young people, you're moving into the battle line. And there, I'm just going to charge you, there are people that have gone before you that have been on the battle line for too long. And they've been listening to the negative declaration over this earth for too long. And there needs to be a fresh set of ears. If, if you have been listening to the negative declaration, over, I don't care if it's this country, I don't care if it's over church culture, I don't, I don't care what it's over, the spirit of the enemy works through the news of negativity. Negative. It's easy to discern if it's negative or positive. Positive gives an atmosphere of hope. It's simple. Negative brings an atmosphere where hope is questioned or removed or even brought down. It's simple. It's, it's the, the discernment of spirit is not like this magical thing. It's pretty, it makes total sense when you have the spirit of God living in you. So sometimes there are people who have been on the battle line for too long. Amen? Now listen to this. This is verse 22. And David left the things in charge of the keeper of the baggage and ran to the ranks and went and greeted his brothers. As he talked with them, behold, the champion, the Philistine of Gath, uh, Goliath by name, came up out of the ranks of the Philistines and spoke the same words as before. See, it's just the same thing over and over. This isn't like, this isn't a, this isn't a new word against this, this the devil only has a few tricks he really does 
And it doesn't take a whole lot to defeat him. It says, And David heard him. When all the men of Israel, when they saw the man, fled from him and were much afraid. And the men of Israel said, Have you seen this man who has come up? Surely he has come up to defy Israel. And the king will enrich the man who, kill, who kills him with great riches and will give him his daughter and make his father's house free in Israel. And David said to the men who stood by him, What shall be done for the man who kills this Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? See, the, the thing that I like about what David said there, it didn't say he was defying God. It said he was defying the armies of the living God. You need to care for the brothers and sisters around you that are being defiled. Now listen to me. David didn't say he's defying God. He said he's defying the armies. The armies represent God, but sometimes there can be a tendency to just think, well, I'm going to serve God and not serve other people. Man, my ministry is only to God. Well, guess what? If you're not serving your brothers and sisters in Christ, you're not doing a whole lot anyway. It becomes a ministry about you for you, not a ministry for them about them. And how many of you guys know you come, when we come in the corporate setting right here, it is about receiving, but how many of you guys know the reception in receiving comes as you give? That this is called a flow. Nothing's coming out of you until it's coming into you. So when we're like, hey, turn and pray for somebody, we're not trying to give you something you don't have. We're, we're starting the move of the Spirit of God through you. All right? So if you want to receive something, you give it. Amen. Verse 28 says, Now Eliab, his eldest brother, heard when he spoke to the men. And Eliab's anger was kindled against David. And he said, Why have you come down? And with whom have you left those few sheep in the wilderness? I know your presumption and the evil of your heart. For you have come down to see the battle. I can't tell you how many times where I, I, was, I was with my... I, was with, uh, I had an experience where I was with my cousin who was in a, an awesome denomination and they were going around and they were, uh, he was in the mission field and he was going asking for support and he was going from church to church and he'd do a service and in one service, I mean, he's just telling about the goodness of God. How when they were going on on the mission field, there was all these uh, miracles and in this one service, in this one service out um, on the other side of the earth, he was in a mission field, every person that came forward to receive healing receive healing. I mean, if they were sick, if they were blind, if they were deaf, if they were lame, it didn't matter. Just, it was an amazing outpouring. And like every person that came forward got healed. That's awesome. Isn't that awesome? Okay, this is amazing. So check this out. He's telling the story and I'm playing guitar. I'm doing, I'm 16. I'm with him and he's traveling and I'm just doing like some altar call music. And the people are just like, wow, that's amazing. They're just like, their, their curiosity is getting kindled in this this people who were listening to the sermon of this missionary coming through was kind of going from a, okay, to like, wow, this is awesome. There started to be an awakening. So after the service, this, this person, call, uh, the, the, the leader of this church, calls um, uh, uh, my family member, not here, but uh, into his room and said, you're lying. And he goes, 
Well, what do you mean? He's like, I've been in ministry for 33 years and nothing has ever happened like that. How dare you sit there and lie to my congregation? See, there's this brother thing where it's like once a brother starts outperforming another brother, there starts to be a, a threatening happening. See, and that's not a father's and son's culture. That's a, that's a brother to brother to culture. And that's an unhealthy brother to brother to culture. What, 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 that, what that guy did is he drew a line in the sand of the move of God. He told God, that is too good and I don't believe it because it didn't happen to me. See, a mature believer learns to celebrate the victories of our brothers and sisters and not compare ourselves to them and try to reduce other people's experience to our lack of one. So when you hear of the move of the greatness of God, learn to celebrate it, and you, by doing that, invite that opportunity into your environment. So what, what Eliab did here in this moment was he actually created his own prison I know your heart. No, you don't. No man knows the heart but God. We're really good at attempting to judge the intentions of other people, not even knowing our own. Don't be an Eliab. Don't be someone who, when someone comes in saying, you know, what's, what's going on here? He's defying you guys. Don't, be in, don't come up and be like, man... You don't know what you're talking about. You don't know what we're going through. Man, wh why are you living this way? Why are you living below the standard God has? You don't know what we've been going through. Don't be that person. Don't create for yourself your own prison by not allowing the Davids who are coming up to bring hope to you. It's not naivety. Why have you come down? And with whom have you left those few sheep in the wilderness? I know your presumption and the evil of your heart, for you have come down to see the battle. And David said, what have I done now? <laughs> was, it, but, was it not but a word? And he turned away from him toward another, and he spoke in the, in the same way, and the people answered him again before. He, he basically asked the question again. And the guys told him again what, what Saul would do. When the, wor uh, when the words that David spoke they, uh, were heard, they repeated them before Saul. So listen, here you have 40 men, 40 men who, or not 40 men, you've had these men who have been out tempted for basically 40 days. And there's no, there's no news going on. There's only one message that's going through the camp, and that's hopelessness, hopelessness, hopelessness. Hopelessness. Forty days. Hopelessness. Amen? <laughs> That's what's going on here. It's interesting that verse 31 says, when the words that David spoke were heard, 
They repeated them before Saul. See, you want to, brought, you want to be brought before kings? Have a message that's going to bring life to his kingdom. I, you know how, man, God, is, God has been preparing me. And I'll tell you, I'm starting to see a change, and God is bringing me before people in high places. I'm having encounters with people that I shouldn't have, and I wouldn't have had I had the testimony of these other men in the battle. See, hope travels fast when there is none. And God is restoring the message of hope and the Davids in this culture. And it travels quickly. Amen. He sent for him. And verse 32 says, And David said to Saul, Let no man's heart fail because of him. Your servant will go and fight with this Philistine. And Saul said to David, You are not able to go against the Philistine to fight with him, for you are but a youth. He has been a man of war from his youth. But David said to Saul, Your servant used to keep sheep for his father. And when a lion came, or a bear, and took a lamb from the flock, I went after him and struck him and delivered it out of his mouth. And if he rose against me, I caught him by the beard and struck and killed him. Your servant has struck down both lions and bears, And this uncircumcised Philistine shall be one of them. For he has defied, again, the armies of the living God. You guys have to understand something right here. I'm going to finish this, though. And David said, The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of the Philistine. And Saul said to David, Go. And the Lord be with you. You want to hear something very interesting? Can I read to you all the battles in Israel real quick? This is, this is historical. Some of, uh, Saul, some of Israel's battles during Saul's reign. Listen to this. Listen to this, okay? Jabesh Gilead. This is found in 1 Samuel 11. Saul delivered the people of Jabesh from the Ammonites. Guess who won that battle? Israel. The battle of Gibeah. In 1 Samuel 13, 3 and 4, Jonathan killed the Philistine governor at Gibeah, and the Philistine garrison was driven out. So at the battle of Gibeah, who is the victor? Israel. The battle of Mishka. In 1 Samuel 14, Philistine delivered, uh, defeated by Jonathan and Saul. Who is the victor in that battle? Israel. The battle of Amalek. Saul's forces defeat the Amalekites in 1 Samuel 15. Who's the victor? Israel. The Valley of Elah. This is where we're at today. Who's who's won all the victories? They have no reason to be discouraged. They just need to be reminded of their victories. The testimony that God has given you wasn't for then. It's for now. 
you've been brought through so many valleys of the shadows of death because we conquer death. We're actually going into the darkness. Once light enters darkness, there is no competition but for the light to win. There's victory after victory after victory after victory, and then all of a sudden, for some reason, Saul and his guys are stuck. Young people, the nation, this, this earth, is coming to a point of being stuck. And it's this generation, you guys, that's going to release the word of God. And listen, this is, this is the cool thing that I think. I think of all the victories. I think, I think in Saul's mind, I think he's sitting in his tent and he's discouraged. He's been hearing 40 days of this blaspheme against the Lord, against the armies of the living God. And all he hears is the negativity going on of the news, of the what's going on in the culture, of what the debt's going to be like, of whatever. And all of a sudden, the positive news of David. And he comes in to this tent, and Saul's sitting there. And he's sitting there discouraged, and he says, you know, what, what, what's going on? And David says, I can do it. And almost this, I, I, I think of the flashbacks that Paul experienced in that moment of the victories God started to bring him as David spoke the word saying, God delivered me from the lion. God delivered me from the bear. And he's starting to get all these yes, yes, yes. See, the yes needs to be put back in the mouth of the King Saul's of today. The men and women who are in authority, the leaders, the people who God has anointed to do great and mighty things, needs to have encounters with the immature battle. Just, they have never stepped foot on the battle. We need the word of the inexperienced on the battlefield, and they're going to develop and they're going to show us the victories that they've had in their private times. But God did this for me. See, see Saul was recognizing the move of God on David in this moment. And he said, here you go. And that's what God is doing. I just want to charge, I want to charge these graduates with the move of God that's on your life. And it's amazing. And we're ready But I, I do want to talk about, um, real quick, this is funny. Uh, as I was praying, there was this, um, I felt the Holy Spirit say, I want you to talk about, just a f- list a few things that, that our culture is ready for. I want to tell you what they're ready for right now. Because there is a stigma. Listen, there's a stigma in the minds of, of, of people who are in authority for people, uh, uh, not all. This is not. This is not a blanket statement. This is just. There can be and tends to be a stigma in uh, a generation, uh, the the more seasoned generation, that has a stigma about the younger generation, and it's killing both generations. 
And here's, here's, here, is, here are the Davids that they are ready for. They are ready for a shepherd boy. They're ready for somebody unskilled in their methods. They are ready for someone who's a novice, who's an amateur, who needs to be taken under their wing and developed. Hear me out, though. I want you guys to look in your Bible here. We're going to read this, um, verse 38. Now, check, in, uh, check this out, though. Saul gives him his blessing. He says, go, and the Lord be with you. Then, everybody say then. Then Saul clothed David in his armor. He put a helmet of bronze on his head and clothed him with a coat of mail. And David strapped his sword over his armor. And he tried in vain to go, for he had not tested them. Then David said to Saul, I I can't go with these, for I've not tested them. So David took them off. Here's what I see happening. I will give you my blessing if you learn the methods and repeat what I did. What would have happened had David attempted to go out into battle with the armor of Saul, with the false attitude of honoring Saul? Think about that. How many times does one generation mandate that the blessing comes through the way I did it rather than who did it through me? Saul could have won every battle but naked. But you know what? We develop our armor. and We start to put our strength in our armor rather than our God. So David says, I, I can't do this. So I want, to charge, I want to charge you, parents and adults. Their methods aren't your methods. They're not going to be, and they shouldn't be. They're not going to do church like you. They're not going to do life like you. And God's still going to bring the victory. Because it's, when you discern it of the Spirit, it's going to bring life to the people of God and the world. See, Jesus didn't just bring life to the Jews. He brought life to the Gentiles. He did. That wasn't his mission, but that's still what happened because joy just flowed out of him. It's bigger than your methods. It's bigger than the way you think has to happen. Well, look, okay, okay, I'm going to bless you, but you need to put this on first. No, 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 no. Listen, young people, I'm going to tell you something. You don't need their armor. You only need their blessing. Now listen, blessing, David, David was in a culture of blessing because he was in a culture of obedience. Listen, once you're launched, you're let go. Once you are launched, you see, you know how much it was a part of Paul's, uh, Saul's ministry in the New Testament? He still was a tent maker. 
but he still did, he still had methods, he still was doing things, but yet he was launched. And how many times where in the, new, in, the, in, the, in the early church, the apostles still had their identity, they still had the flavor of themselves, but they had the anointing from Jesus. And so there are things that you're going to learn, but the methods are not going to be the same, and they shouldn't be. And see, this, is, this right here, the method thing, seems to be the, the big disconnect right now. That, that's where people aren't able, they're not discerning the, the heart of the Spirit of God. They're discerning how the things were done. And because, oh, it's just not the way that it used to be, it's not supposed to be. Amen. And you know what? Once you embrace that, when you embrace that, look, you are being put in the hot seat to trust in the Lord. Because if you mandate that they pick up your armor, you're no longer trusting in the Lord. You're not trusting in the testimony of them that God has done through them. You're trusting in the mix of your testimony and their testimony. They only need your blessing. But the blessing comes through you identifying and recognizing their, the testimony that God has moved through them. Okay? I'm going to keep going here. I'm almost done. No, I'm not. Never mind. So, I'm actually going to stop there on the, that chapter. But they're looking for a shepherd boy. They're looking for someone who's unskilled in their methods. They're saying, okay, you're coming into my place you're going to go defeat this army. You're going to go take on the world for Jesus. I need to teach you how I did it. But no, a father doesn't do that. A father recognizes. A father recognizes the sling instead of the sword. And so the other thing they're, rec- they're looking for, these are ways you're going out. They might be looking for selfish and they have a stigma. This new generation is just selfish. This new generation is just full of pride. Think they know it all. Or they're only in it for themselves. Or here's another thing they might be looking for. Might a grocery carrier. Someone who can only handle small tasks. See there. They might think that you, you, you are only a shepherd boy and you just do run errands for dad. They're not looking for a warrior. They're not looking for the presence and the move of God and how he works. They're, they're looking for something small. But listen, this is the world that you're going into. This is for our graduates. That's what I'm speaking to you right now. I'm going to tell you who you're actually going to be. So you're actually going to be those three things. You're actually going to be a shepherd boy. You're actually going to be a servant, a grocery carrier. You're going to be those things. You're going to be, you're going to have a sense of pride. Listen to this. Yeah, you're going to be a shepherd boy. But you're going to be one who has developed a skill in managing the affairs of your family. Able to protect and defend what belongs to you and your family. You're going to have knowledge to discern the enemy and the will to defeat him at every encounter. That's what a shepherd boy does. See, they might think only a shepherd boy. But you know what it takes to be a shepherd boy. And not only do you know what it takes, you're good at it. 
Don't, other, don't let people, Paul, uh, Paul said that to Timothy, don't, don't let people despise your youth. As a matter of fact, young people shape the way we think today. We do it. We do it all the time. And, amen? Yeah, you're going to have a sense. There's a difference between being prideful and having confidence. See, David's, David's testimony was not in his ability to, to defeat. It was in God's ability to defeat the lion and the bear. God gave me this ability to do this. It was God that delivered this into my hands. See, you will have the testimony of what God has done for you. Uh, uh, do not serve, you do not serve a theoretical God of ideas and traditions, but a God who is alive and active in all creation. See, amen. And the last thing, yeah, you're going to be a grocery carrier. You're, you realize that every act of obedience is a window into your destiny. You will know that your legacy will be built on the foundational, on the foundation of intentional submission to whomever God places in your life. That's what a grocery carrier is. And uh, I, and, and uh, a job, uh, how many of you guys know that right now in the work environment, the turnover for jobs is, is fairly high. People usually don't keep jobs for longer than like five years, right? And the reason is, is because people look out for number one. People don't submit to, uh, this is an agenda, this is, there's a mindset that if it's not good for me, I need to get out. Man, that will kill the move of God in any nation. We actually are here to serve one another. And God has put you where you are at to serve where you are at and who he places you until God closes that door. Now, I'm not trying to offend anyone, but I don't care if I do. Okay? It's not my intention. But listen, the, the idea that once it stops being beneficial for me, I need to move on, will sabotage your growth and your place and your legacy. It will sabotage you. Because what happens is it becomes all about you. But then guess what happens to the generation that comes after you that learns from that and does that? Your ability to have people who you need under you will not be there because you didn't display what it means to stay put and grow. There are millions of personal tumbleweeds. And tumbleweed does not have any fruit on it. They, oh yeah, they see the world but they burn off. They lose their place and they come and they go. And God calls us to be planted. Planted. Oh, you're limiting me. No, I'm actually reproducing you. So, yeah, yeah, okay, a tree is limited, but a tree has fruit. What do you want? You want to see the world and you be the last of your kind? Or do you want to stay planted? Do you want to weather storms, be able to weather storms, or have every, every little blow blow you across the, the mental grasslands of nothingness and find out, where you, find out where you end up and have to develop a new 
way of thinking there because, oops, that's just what happens in life. Or you can stay planted, and you can grow, and you can have fruit. It's up to you. you it really is up to you. Amen. And now Oliver Wendell Holmes Jr. says this. It says, every calling is great when greatly pursued. It really doesn't matter what you do. It's a matter, it, what matters is how greatly you intend on doing it. See, don't, don't, try to, don't try to measure up and be someone else's and other greatness. God has given you your sling. And you be great at your sling. Don't be great at what you're not good at. Don't be inspired by other people's gifting so much that you think, oh, I need to do what they are doing because, oh, I, I want to do that. No, you just like how good they're at it. You need to be good at what you are good at. And stop getting distracted on other people's developed skill that they have developed in private and worked and worked and worked. God has already been developing the sling in your life for a while. Okay? You don't need to go take up Saul's armor. Amen? Listen, don't seek out your Goliath. Seek out your brothers. Hear me out. This is the, 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 story, of, the story of David and Goliath is, is, is around the premise that really the greatness of David's kingdom and, and the testimony of David started at this battle. He, he was known for the rest of his life as the man who defeated Goliath. But he wasn't out to defeat Goliath. He was out to meet his brothers. What happens when you meet your brothers is you find Goliaths. But you don't seek Goliaths out. They will find you. So you're not trying to, oh, I'm trying to take over the world and defeat the devil. No, you find your brothers. You find your family and you steward them and you love them and you bring them fruit and you bring them the goods from your father's house. The enemy is going to be there. You don't have to seek out your Goliath. You seek out your brothers. You seek out your sisters. You seek out the people around you that are lost and hurting. Don't, your Goliath will be there. Okay? Amen. Look around you. That is your family. Those are the people. that You don't need to worry about the Goliaths in your life. They're going to be there. And when they come, you're going to be equipped and you're going to be ready because you have the word of the Lord. But you're looking for the people around you who need you. They're looking for the people who need to be refreshed. They need your cheese, and they need your bread. Amen. Bring the mozzarella on. All right? Look, don't seek out the lion and bears. You seek out your sheep. The lions and bears will be there. It's the nature of a shepherd. Listen, it's, you're going you're gonna to defend your flock, but you have a flock to defend. You have a family. See, you're not a rogue ministry. You're not out there to, de to defeat the devil. He, he's losing every time you defend the flock. Every time you defend and you back up your brothers and sisters in the Lord, he loses by default. But every time he can try to get you to turn on one another or to have you lessen your value for your flock, he wins.
Find the people in your life that God has put you in place in stewarding, and you steward them, and you be good at what you are called to do. You don't have to go somewhere else to be great. Just be great where he has placed you. The, the victory and the testimony, don't, don't worry about pursuing greatness. Don't just be great at what, at what is called of you in obedience. Amen? I want you guys to listen to one more thing. You guys know that God is going to place you young people just like has, he has many of us not young people. He's going to put you in places. Listen, this is crazy. He's going to put you in places where the people that you are under are going to try to kill you. Those people are going to be ruthless. They're going to be dishonest. They're going to be conniving. They're going to be incompetent. They're going to be liars. And it's God who put them in your life. In 1 Samuel 24, if you guys want to turn there, I'm going to read it real quick. Are you guys okay? Okay, just want to make sure. It's not going to change what I'm doing. I just make sure you're like. Okay. When Saul returned from following the Philistines, he was told, Behold, David is in the wilderness of Engedi. Then Saul took 3,000 chosen men out of all Israel and went to seek David and his men in the front of the wild goat's rocks. And he came to the sheepfold by the way where there was a cave, and Saul went in to go to the bathroom. That's where he wanted to do. I know because this is the part in the super book where Reagan's like, what is he doing? And I'm like, he's going potty. When he came to the sheepfold by the way, um, yeah, he wanted to relieve himself. Now David and his men were sitting in the innermost part of the cave. And the men of David said to him, here is the day of which the Lord said to you, Behold, I will give your enemy into your hand, and you shall do to him as it shall seem good to you. Then David arose and stealthily cut off a corner of Saul's robe. Dude, that is brave. Dude's doing his business, and you cut off the hem of his garment. That's like... I know, right? Afterward, David's heart struck him. I'm, I'm just amazed at David's sensitiveness. Because he had cut off a corner of Saul's robe. Then he said to his men, The Lord forbid that I should do this thing to my Lord, the Lord's anointed, to put out my hand against him, seeing that he is the Lord's anointed. So David persuaded his men with these words and did not permit them to attack Saul. And Saul rose up and left the cave and went on his way. Afterward, David also arose and went out of the cave and called after Saul, My Lord, the king. And when Saul looked behind him, David bowed his face to the earth and paid homage. And David said to Saul, 
Why do you listen to the words of men who say, Behold, David seeks you harm? Behold, this day your eyes have seen how the Lord gave you today into my hand in the cave. And some told me to kill you, but I spared you. I said, I will not put out my hand against my Lord, for he is the Lord's anointed. See my father, see the corner, uh, see my father, the, see the corner of your robe in my hand. For by the fact, by that fact, I cut off the corner of your robe and did not kill you. You may know and see that there is no wrong or treason in my hands. I have not sinned against you, though, my, uh, though you hunt my life to take it. May the Lord judge between you and me, and may the Lord avenge me against you. But my hand shall not be against you. Now look, God's going to put you. Listen to this. You've got to get this. It's going to happen. God is going to put men and women over your life who are evil. And they are out for you. And it's God who put them there. And you are going to have the opportunity to take them out. I pray not physically. <laughs> but maybe you are going to discover the liar that they are and have the opportunity to expose them to the world and ruin their character for good. This is where kings are made. This is where David said, I'm not going to touch the Lord's anointed. Do you have the leadership and do you have the character to keep your mouth and your heart in a state of mercy knowing that it's God who will judge this? Do you have that? And guess what? Listen to me. If God doesn't bring you that opportunity, it's because you aren't ready for it. If God puts that person in your life, and he, if you find dirt on someone that can destroy someone, that's because God wants to see if you're ready to be king. Wow. He's going to do it. A couple chapters over and 26, same thing, only David is in uh, uh, chapter 26. He's, he's, uh, he goes across, uh, and him and his buddy, they go into Saul's tent, and there's two other guys sleeping, uh, Saul's servants, and, and uh, he goes up, and, and uh, David's servant with him says, let me take a spear, all right? Look, I'm just going to take one jab at him. That's all I need. Just give me one jab. I'm going to take out your enemy. I won't strike him twice. It'll only be once. I promise. That's what he says. And David says, no, but get, the, get his spear and get his water jug. And he goes outside. And then when Saul's servant comes outside, David yells from across the river and he says, hey, you're not doing your job. And he says, what are you talking about? He says, look what I have. Look, and Saul comes out and there's this, David and Saul really have a, this is kind of where kind of the restoration starts to happen in their life, where Saul really is experiencing the mercy of God. And I think the mercy that, that David is, is giving and handing out towards Saul is actually from the heart of God 
trying to reach out to Saul in his place of his life. God has not given up on Saul. And remember, guys, it's not about you. God put Saul's in your life because he's after those Saul's in your life. Don't forget that those people who are hurting you and are after you and are trying to take your job or trying to outpromote you or trying to hurt you or trying to steal the life or quality of life is from you, God is after their heart and he will use you to get to them. But if you don't have the character to make it through, don't worry, he's not going to test you. I don't give my keys to my car to, to my kid when they're not able to drive it. That's rude, it's mean, it will kill them. God doesn't do that to us. If he's testing you, it's because you're ready. Young people, God's going to test you. And the reason why he's testing you is because you're prepared. There is, no, there is no Goliath that he brings in your way that he does not see you first kill your lions and your bears with. But he doesn't give you lions and bears until you're ready to go take on the stewarding leadership role of a shepherd. Amen? Amen. Let's stand to our feet. So, Father, I just thank you for our graduates. And if you're around a graduate or a parent of a graduate, raise your hand again real quick if you're a graduate or a parent of a graduate. If you're a graduate or a parent of a graduate, I want you to raise your hand. And then the rest of the body, I want you to just gather around them. Father, I just thank you for the grace of God that is on, this, on these family members, Lord, and our family, our, our spiritual family here, God. We thank you for this season of growth, of stretching, of movement, Lord, of discipleship, Lord. But you are calling them now into a whole different dimension of leadership, of stewardship, of discipleship. And we thank you that you are starting to, uh, to expose to them these moments in history. Lord, let us be able to reflect on the moments of history, Lord, and, and see what you've done. And those moments are going to give us the, the grace to get through the moments that are coming before us. God, we just thank you for, I just, uh, I don't want to name him because I'm going to forget him, but I just thank you, God, for the work of the Holy Spirit that is leading these young men, these young women, Lord, into their destiny. But Lord, they're not looking for it. They are just simply obeying and they are being a disciple. And it is in the moment. It is in the, the walk of a disciple that destiny is fulfilled. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Just give them a hug this morning, you guys. If you guys want prayer for anything or if you need encouragement or uh, I really think that God's going to just blow our minds in awesome ways today, and I want you to look for it. But be blessed. Amen? Amen.